0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comic Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam.
1: And my name is Jeremy. And we are here
0: to discuss X-Men number 101, the October 1976 issue, titled Like a Phoenix from the Ashes.
1: And Adam, before we totally get going on this episode, or this issue, I should say, I have a story about it. About a young boy who possessed this issue in his hands, but ultimately lost it. <laughs> Would you like to hear the story? No. Oh, okay. All right, so on the cover of this... We... All right, all right, let's do the story. <laughs> so when I was in fifth grade, uh, I want to say fifth grade, which is where I kind of came into my own as it came to X-Men. Everybody's heard the story I told about being told that G.I. Joe's a dumb comic book and I should read something better like this X-Men stuff. Um, so, Boy, was that guy wrong. I know, right? As it turns out, X-Men wasn't as good as G.I. Joe. Well, I, I wouldn't go so that far <laughs> oh. as that. It's different different tropes for different folks. Uh, no, G.I. Joe is not as bad as he made it to sound out. But anyways, uh, so um, what had happened is we had been playing a lot of Marvel superheroes, the role-playing game, which I've also talked about a number of times, and uh, I had started going to the comic book shop with the guys that I was playing Marvel superheroes with a lot, and uh, on the wall, they had a couple of different books. They had the Sauron issue, they had, uh, from from back in the, uh, you know, classic, classic X-Men, Uh, They had um, this issue, issue number 101. They had issue 142 up on the wall and a number of other issues as well. Those are the only ones that come to my mind. And we were always trying to figure out how we could possibly afford purchasing those wall books, right? Mm -hmm. So we concocted an idea. I had this other friend of mine who, uh, he was younger than me, and he was quite impressionable. And I could generally, like, you know, kind of sway him to do Things that I wanted him to do i was I was a bad friend to him, <laughs> but one of the things that I thought I could do is I thought that like we could make me and my friends at school could make our own role playing game much like Marvel superheroes, and we could sell it to this guy for like thirty dollars right, and then we would take that thirty dollars and then we would buy. Uh, X-Men 101, and maybe something else that was on the wall. We we didn't know which ones at the time. And so uh, ultimately, I think while I was taking advantage of my friend, I think the friends that I had in fifth grade were taking advantage of me because <laughs> <laughs> the whole time that we were, we, quote-unquote, were putting together this role-playing game, it was essentially me doing everything. So basically the way the game worked is we took the uh, the role thing the 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 what do, you, what do you call it the roll board from the back of the marvel superheroes game we copied that verbatim and then i wrote like three or four pages of text of like how the rules of this game would work and then i like bound it in some like manila folder and stapled it all together and i, I think i drew a picture on the front and then the plan was is that i was going to sell this for thirty dollars to my friend so Uh, I did all of the work. I did all of the artwork. I did all of the copying, and I did all the stapling and all that sort of stuff, and uh, when the rubber met the road, I couldn't actually take advantage of my friend. (laughs) Why not? I don't know. Did you grow a conscience? I don't know what happened, but it all of a sudden was like, I I don't think I can sell this to my friend, and it's not because I had become attached to it or anything. It's just like, I, I guess, maybe I did grow a conscience. So... Now I was in a, I was stuck because I had promised these other guys that I was going to get this $30, and I felt <laughs> obligated to get the $30. So I ended up taking $30 of my own money, which was probably all the money in the world that I had at the time, and I said, look, guys, I sold the role-playing game, and I got the $30. And they're like, all right, let's go to the comic book store after school, and we will spend the $30 on... Two of those wall books. And so we went to the comic book store and we bought X-Men 101, this very issue. And then we also bought X-Men 142. Can you believe it? I had those in my collection, in my hands, in my collection. Now...
0: Was this your first comic or...
1: No, but I mean, this is like right after I got uh, into comic books. And uh, I was gaining an appreciation for collectibles. And so I knew these were highly collectible based on their storylines. Were
0: you already into the X-Men at this point?
1: Yes. Okay. So um, X-Men 101, if I can describe it, was in horrible condition. (laughs) Like (laughs) the cover was attached there. The pages weren't ripped. But like it had had been sent overseas because there was like postage cancellation stamps all over the cover of this book. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which was weird, which we, I never was able to figure out, and I think we spent maybe twelve dollars for it, and then uh but the x men one forty two that was in like pretty close to near mint condition. I think we spent the remainder of the money on that one, and you know we we put them in we, we bagged and boarded them, and since all three of us had like put our efforts into making this role playing game, it was decided that we would share these comic books. <laughs> Right. So I would have them like Monday and Tuesday and then the next guy would have them Wednesday and Thursday and then the next guy would have them Friday and Saturday. And then we would alternate Sundays or I don't know how it was going to work. But we basically got through one rotation and the two guys came to me and they said, you know, this really isn't working. Uh, It's really tough for all three of us to own this comic book and have it go through. Why don't you buy us out? (laughs) to which i said all all right you know so i you know i I gave each one of them ten dollars i don't know where i was getting all this money from (laughs) so i so i ended up spending fifty dollars for thirty dollars worth of comic books but then i had them in my collection right and uh, they were boarded and uh, whatever fast forward many years to uh the dawn of ebay and i had all of these comic books in my collection plus you know all of the many other comics that i had been collecting over the years and i was living on my own and uh, i was just i was doing a lot of buying and selling of other things on ebay and i thought to myself wow i should really sell some of these comic books on ebay cuz i bet you i could get a lot of money for them and so the very first thing i ever sold on ebay Was this X Men number 101? And Mm. I started the auction at 99 cents and I put shipping at a dollar and the thing sold for a dollar (laughs) fifty plus the dollar that I collected for shipping. It cost me three dollars to ship. I lost 50 cents, (laughs) not to mention the other twenty dollars I had spent earlier and i believe a similar fate uh fell upon that x-men 142 as well
0: oh you got rid of 142 as well
1: i know well i thought like this is the one right this is the the i'll put it out there and i'm gonna get a hundred dollars for it i don't remember what i got for that one it was less disappointing than x-men 101 but it was definitely not worth whatever i got for it when we were kids in upstate new york were these comics on your wall no, but they were in my collection.
0: Oh, so you didn't put them on your wall? No. So I probably never saw them.
1: No, nope, they would have been in the box. And I got to be honest, I had completely forgotten that I had any of these recently. And so it's it's altogether possible that when you and I were living in New York and collecting comic books, I had forgotten that I owned them there as well. <laughs> because uh, honestly, you know, I was more into the modern X-Men and when you read X-Men 101 and even 142, uh it's not modern and so it's you know, you have them for the collectability but it, you know, at the end of the day, they're they're just not, you know, Bishop's not in there and and uh, Gambit's not in there and Rogue's not in there and et cetera. So, there you go. There's a, a pathetic tale of of a boy who tried to take advantage of somebody uh, and then got taken advantage of like three times.
0: <laughs> so the moral of the story is, if you're going to take advantage of somebody, just do
1: it. I, I guess. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I guess I would have been better off if I would have taken the other guy's $30, but anyhow. So there you go. I've been holding on to that story for a little while, uh, but but that's my tale of X-Men 101.
0: I expect to, to hear this story again when we get to
1: 142. I eh, pretty much just spilt the beans all right here honestly like the x-men 142 i had it in a big thick mylar bag and it was in really good condition i'm surprised i didn't show it to you uh but i i i I think i sold it for like ten dollars or something stupid (laughs) yeah so disappointed in myself Uh, i think the real lesson here is never get rid of anything ever (laughs) (laughs) keep it all Yeah, I don't know about that. That's probably not a good idea. (laughs) All right. Well, on the cover of this classic cover is uh, the uh, phoenix. We're just going to call her the phoenix because the cover says enter the phoenix. And she's ascending from the waters, which contain only Cyclops, Storm, and Nightcrawler. So my guess is Banshee and Wolverine are dead. Well, it looks like
0: Cyclops is drowning. He's got water in his mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would assume the other two are drowning too. Jean Grey is bursting forth from the water and she is wearing a brand new outfit involving a gold sash and some gold gloves. And what looks like it's going to be some gold boots and a green outfit. Uh, We all know she's the Phoenix.
1: Yep. Uh, And again, I guess we're missing some people from...
0: In the mutant heroes' hour of maximum peril, enter the Phoenix...
1: There you go. We open up this book, and we see that Chris Claremont is the author. Dave Cockrum is drawing.
0: Oh, I would like to point something out. Yes. The comic went up to 30 cents. Oh, man. Inflation. We can no longer say still 25 cents. Mm-mm.
1: Uh Frank Chiramonte is the inker. Jay Costanza is the letterer. A. Yankus? Everybody just changes up their name. Like, nobody can stick to this book of the B-Squad. Wait, who's A. Yankus? I got B. Wilford as the colorist. Oh, really? No. So, uh, I'm reading from the Volume 2 Marvel Masterworks The Uncanny X-Men, and my colorist says A. Yankus. Colorist.
0: Weird. Do you have Archie Goodwin as the editor?
1: Archie Goodwin is now uh, replaced Marv Wolfman as the editor. I'm
0: looking. At the Marvel Wikia says the original colorist is Bonnie Wilford.
1: The original uh, colorist, according to your Wikia and according to the original scan, is B. Wilford. And it's colored completely differently in the original scan. Actually, before we get into this, I don't know if we're ever actually going to start this issue of uh, X-Men 101 because there's so many other things I want to talk about, Adam. And Jeremy,
0: I've got a story that I want to tell.
1: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Go
0: ahead. There
1: once was a man from Poughkeepsie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's
0: all I got. Oh,
1: a terrible story. I want to know about going back to the X-Sentinels. Uh, this has been bothering me for an entire week now. Did the X-Sentinels think that they were the X-Men or did they know that they were the X-Sentinels? I don't know. <laughs> do you do you, do you care to, like, pontificate on that, or you just not even if, care? I guess if you want me to. <laughs> uh, yeah, they probably thought they were the real X-Men. Okay. So do you think they were freaked out when Marvel Girl got cut open and, like, all of her parts were sticking out? And was it, like, a moment, like, in, what, Blade Runner? No,
0: because they probably thought that the real X-Men were robots. Oh. Hmm.
1: All right. That's just been bothering me all week. Really? Kind of. Like that whole story actually. Like Stephen Lang went to a lot of effort to create his trap and it it just bothers me that uh that much time and resources was put together for just the ironic battle that he wanted to put together.
0: He was a weird dude. I guess. He had some issues that he needed to work out.
1: I wish the classic X-Men stories would have delved into his history and why he was so weird and why he was willing to spend all of that time, effort, and money on creating the X-Sentinels.
0: That would have been a good backup story. Hmm.
1: Okay. Now we're going to start X-Men 101. (laughs) Jean Grey is in the backdrop of this one, and there's a space shuttle crashing through her, essentially what is a silhouette. And it says in here that, uh, for 20 minutes now, uh, she has been, f- somebody has been flying the ship. I guess it's her. And if you recall, our last issue left 20 minutes to landing. So I think this takes place, th- this is what happened during those 20 minutes.
0: This is essentially the same panel as the one we left off on. Mm. Okay. Well, one of them anyway.
1: And it says that she's uh, t- piloting the StarCore space shuttle toward Earth through the worst solar storm in living memory. And I wanted to ask, a couple of issues ago, Storm was controlling solar storms. So why isn't she helping out here? Was she controlling solar storms or was she controlling space? She was in space and she was in able to... Space winds or something. Yeah, but she was able to conjure up like a solar storm or something like that. I swear that's what it, Maybe it wasn't a solar storm. It was a space storm.
0: Yeah, I think it was a space storm. But what I want to know is if this is the worst cosmic radiation storm in recent history, then how come all of the X-Men or Peter Corbo don't turn into the Fantastic Four?
1: No kidding. Well, these aren't cosmic rays. Oh. <laughs> big big difference. Big difference. Huge
0: difference. Cosmic radiation and cosmic rays are now the same thing. Well this is Great. solar
1: radiation. Solar radiation.
0: Well, not according to the panel. It says cosmic radiation. Oh.
1: oh geez, you're right. You would think that there would be some type of fantastic forness going on.
0: Well, I suppose mm. I suppose for the X Men in the back, they're protected. Yeah. So, well— so so, really, it's just Jean Grey who gets hit by...
1: Well, so, there is there is no Phoenix. It's, it's It was cosmic rays. Ever since the Fantastic Four's accident, the government has outfitted all new space shuttles with Fantastic Four-proof life cells.
0: There's like a hole in the, the <laughs> cell, though,
1: or uh, in the window. Fine. <laughs> On our next page, we see a space shuttle kind of hurtling towards the... Well, through the sunset, I guess... And what they're trying to establish here is that whoever's controlling this space shuttle is trying to get them to a safe landing.
0: The X-Men hadn't expected to make it this far. When the solar storm hit and the radiation sensors went off the scales, all of them knew that Jean Grey was as good as dead. And so were they. But then they were in the atmosphere. The ship obviously was under human control. They began to think they might have a chance after all, until the landing.
1: Yeah, and then you get this kind of half, bottom half double page spread where it says, scree, like a phoenix from the ashes. And I don't know if that scree is part of the title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, the ship is like, it looks like it splits in half. Or
0: maybe like a phoenix from the ashes is the sound
1: effects. (laughs)
0: Scree, (laughs) like a phoenix from the ashes!
1: Maybe Scree is the title of this comic book, and, and Like a Phoenix from the Ashes is the title Maybe of the book. Maybe Karam is the title of the comic book. Could be. Well, anyways, I mean, it looks like a devastating crash until you go to the next page, and you see it completely intact, just uh, missing a little bit of debris.
0: Well, I think the back half fell off.
1: No, because on the second panel on page uh, four here, we see the tail fin and like the back of the engines. Those those tail fins are, like,
0: barely hooked on, though.
1: Yeah, but that's that's a lot more ship than just, like, the back half falling off.
0: <laughs> All
1: right. Well, anyways, uh, they uh, go to the Kennedy uh, Airport, which they were uh, a few issues ago when they ran into Eric the Red, and they crash through one of the crash barriers and fall over into Jamaica Bay. Where the space shuttle skips across the water three times.
0: Thod, thod, thloom.
1: <laughs> and it's gone, with nothing but a trace of an oil slick. Here, perhaps, our story could end. Except for the fact that X Men have always been notoriously hard to kill. And that's when Cyclops bursts through the water and says, Made it. <laughs> Made it!
0: (laughs) He was thinking all the way up. He was like, gonna make it! Gonna make it! Gonna make it! Made it!
1: Yeah, I mean, if you could have seen the underwater dialogue, that's definitely what would have been going on. And shortly after, the rest of the X-Men and Peter Corbo surface minus Marvel Girl.
0: So Scott decides he's going to go back underwater to find her, and Nightcrawler tries to stop him, and that's when Cyclops said... Says, you stopped me once before, Nightcrawler. Get
1: in my way this time, and I'll kill you. You know, Cyclops Imagine,
0: has... imagine if Night, uh, Nightcrawler had stopped him, and Cyclops had killed him. <laughs> Man, he would feel bad.
1: This is, the comic book would be a different tone uh, altogether. Uh, but I can't believe I killed Nightcrawler. Cyclops has turned into a real jerk lately.
0: Well, he's he's passionate.
1: Yeah, but... The woman he loves
0: is underwater, and if there's a chance for him to save her, he's going to take it.
1: Hmm. But he doesn't
0: hecker high water.
1: He well, speaking of water, something's happening in the water, Peter notices. Uh well, I think... that's just me, sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> I thought <farted. laughs> did uh, the water is churning and boiling and we Cyclops notices that it's right over there where the shuttle sank. I don't know how he'd have that perspective, but he knows that's where the shuttle sank.
0: As the scummy, garbage-strewn water glows with iridescent rainbow fire and then explodes. Little commentary on Jamaica Bay there.
1: Yeah, is it dirty?
0: I don't know. I guess Chris Chris Claremont thinks it is.
1: I I was trying to figure out, like, is Jamaica Bay notoriously dirty, or is it because they just crashed a space shuttle into it?
0: Oh, that's a good question.
1: Well, anyways, Marvel Girl bursts through the water and says, Hear me, (laughs) X-Men! No longer am I the woman you know! I am fire and life incarnate! Now and forever I'm Phoenix! Do you think Phoenix needs a new voice? Oh. Yeah, probably. So it would be something like, Now and forever I am! I don't know if I have a different woman's voice though. <laughs> like her voice would change on the Phoenix part, but what would it be? We could do like a Monty Python esque voice, like,
0: no, no, no. I am Phoenix. <laughs> oh, that's terrible.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I Yeah, we're going to have to work on that. I think that's going to be an evolving process. I am
0: Phoenix. <laughs> I am fire and life incarnate. It's like a weird Yoda.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if that's going to be the one we go with. Well, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. In the meantime, after that crazy introduction she made, she kind of explodes or something on the next page. And says that her mind is burning and she's being torn apart. What's happening to me? What have I done, Scott? And she falls back into the water. Jean shouts, "Scott!" And Scott swims out and rescues her. Take it easy, hun. I've got you. And they, they, all of the X Men and Peter Corbo uh, get out of Jamaica Bay. They get up onto the shore and that's when they realize that they should probably put themselves into some sort of uh, disguise prior to um, the authorities arriving.
0: The professor figures they shouldn't be wearing superhero costumes at the very least.
1: So Nightcrawler uses his image inducer to change his appearance. Uh, Storm decides that now is the time that she's going to talk about how it is she's able to magically change her costume, and apparently she can use her power to repolarize the unstable molecules of her costume into anything she wants to. So she changes it into a star Corps uniform. Yeah. What color is your star core uniform? Blue. Oh. These are painted white. <laughs> In mine. Is what about nightcrawlers after his image inducer? Is his all white? Green. Green. Okay. What about Professor X? What color jacket's he wearing?
0: Uh, he is wearing a white shirt. He's not wearing a jacket.
1: Well, we're one for three then in this Marvel (laughs) Masterworks. Uh, anyhow, they all change clothes or the professor uses some mind wipe? It doesn't really say here.
0: Well, if you look at the next panel, Colossus, Wolverine, Cyclops, they haven't changed yet. So basically we cut from a scene of them talking about how they made a mess at the Kennedy Airport again. And... They sneak away, and then we get, Nightcrawler's question goes unanswered as the crowd's confusion grow. No one notices these eight
1: mutants slip away from the crash site. I think it it should be noted here that Nightcrawler's unanswered question is uh, this. Well, first, Peter Corbo says, after all, isn't this the second time the X-Men have made a mess of Kennedy Airport? And Nightcrawler then says, unfortunately, Dr. Corbo, it is. Do you think it would do any good if we said we were sorry?
0: Wah, wah,
1: wah. Right. Just remember that bit of dialogue because for some reason I feel like it's fit for changing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> at least I think so, if I got it right. Well, anyways, <clears throat> after that all happens, the Wolverine is uh, walking by a newsstand, which actually has a copy of the Daily Bugle, which says, JFK mystery deepens. StarCore Chief says, no comment.
0: Because as the uh, titles or the, uh, the the captions say, thanks to Professor Xavier's subtly used mental powers, no one remembers the X-Men being at the airport. Mm-hmm leaving Peter Corbo, the shuttle's sole survivor. sole survivor!
1: And the X-Men free to live their own lives once more. Thank goodness. Uh, <clears throat> witness the mutant known only as Wolverine, so he has no name, does he? I wonder, so, I mean, he's a, a man, right? And uh, he's probably got an identity, right? That, mm-hmm. Do you think he writes signs as checks Wolverine? The Wolverine. <laughs> What is this joke? Uh, uh, what is this, Mister? A joke? Nope. I'm I'm the Wolverine. You can just call me Mister Wolverine. Bub, Bub. <laughs> so he buys a batch of flowers for somebody. We guess for one for a dollar. Yep. And he is thinking to himself, "Man, you got to be crazy. F- you know that acting like a school kid, still wet behind the ears, and for some broad. What's Jean Gray to you anyway?" Someone I like and want. And what Wolverine wants, he gets. So I guess I'd like to point out that Wolverine is now establishing some feelings for Marvel Girl post-Phoenix. It makes sense. I buy it. Yeah. He, he got snapped at and he, he
0: now sees her as
1: heroic. and I guess what yeah. I'm saying is I don't know that later stories jive with this. Really? Yeah, but we can get into that, you know, five years from now when we're actually discussing those stories. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways, so he heads, he heads into the hospital and he's like, I ain't never felt like this about a frail, all hot and bothered. I don't think he's going to get anywhere with her if he talks about her like that. Yeah. Hey, frail, you, me, dance. <laughs> and do you think Wolverine dances? <laughs>
0: I don't know, but he seems to think that the the flowers are going to get him somewhere. What the hey? I'll surprise her with these flowers. Maybe get to talking. And then what, Wolverine? And then what? I don't know. We can talk about my claws. <laughs>
1: hey, baby, you know I got claws in my right, my wrists. I have another observation I wanted to point out about Wolverine. You know, the, reason I, the only reason I think he has those mutton chops or his trademark sideburns no. The only reason I think he has them is because, you know, way back in Hulk 181 and 182, they drew him and they wanted him to be a 19-year-old kid. And his chin is always exposed, right? So he couldn't possibly have a beard or a mustache because we've seen that portion of his face. But he has hair everywhere his mask was. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think when they drew him and they wanted to establish that he was not a 19-year-old kid and they wanted to show him as an older man, they said, how can we do this? And they said, let's give him a beard. And they said, well, how can we give him a beard if we've already shown his chin? And then you have the birth of his mutton chops. What do you think about that?
0: Meh, too complicated. jeez.
1: I put a lot of thought into that.
0: Really? Oh, I'm sorry. It was a great
1: idea. (laughs) Thanks. Anyways, Wolverine says, what the? Because as he goes in, he's surprised that all of the other X-Men are steady uh, holding vigil over Marvel Girl. We told you so, Wolverine, says the caption, because you really should have expected
0: that Jean's friends would stay as close to her as possible until they knew her fate one way or the other. But then again, maybe you shouldn't have. After all, you've never had any friends, have you, the Wolverine?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Interesting, the the little bits of information we're getting about the Wolverine.
0: Yeah, it's a little backstory on the Wolverine, kind of. He throws his flowers into the fire. Mm -hmm. Guess I won't be needing these.
1: And uh, the professor, he's back to his wheelchair, and uh, he's got a blanket back over his legs, so he's he's old again. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> Moira... He wet himself. <laughs> <laughs> Please cover me, Moira. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> Moira wonders why he doesn't use his telepathic powers to probe Marvel Girl to find out what's going on. But... Uh... Apparently the professor can't because anytime he uses his mental powers to a great extent, the dreams he has been having ever since issue number ninety what eight or seven. Yes, issue ninety what? Ninety seven, I think, right? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Whatever issue that was have been plaguing him and uh the last thing he did, the little mass hypnosis he used to get the X Men away from the airport, nearly brought on a seizure. Yeah. Mm hmm. So the professor's messed up. It seems to me like Chris Claremont's kind of gone out of his way to help depower the professor. Which is a good thing, in my opinion. And then we get the creepiest
0: panel in the comic. No, more. I cannot help this girl <laughs> I once thought I loved as much as you. I cannot even help myself. Oh,
1: professor. <laughs> well, at least Chris is, like, addressing that old, old, old storyline and saying nope, we're not going to do this.
0: <laughs> that's just bad on so many levels.
1: <laughs> well, would you rather have it? I mean, I guess I like it from the fact that, like, he said, yep, we tried it, and we're not going to do that. And all the fans that read that are like, I don't know, that's a little something for the fans, if you ask me. Although, if you're a brand-new reader, you'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're Moira, you'd be like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. Why are
0: you telling me this?
1: I, yeah. Yeah, they seem to have a weird relationship, uh, an oddly Im- implausible relationship, but you creepy old man. Yeah. Well, anyways, and and, and if you go to the next panel, you see that Moira and the professor are right in the middle of Wolverine, Banshee, Storm, Nightcrawler, and Colossus. So it's like they look up and they're like, excuse me, professor? Everybody's like, awkward
0: silence. Uh, So what I want to know is, did he love
1: Moira McTaggart or did he just think he loved Moira McTaggart? I don't know. I guess... The only reason we know that there was any love at all is because of this, the retcon stuff, right? I cannot help this girl. I once
0: thought I loved as much as you. So did he once thought he loved Moira or did he love Moira and he once thought he loved Jean as much as he th- loved Moira or I'm, thought he loved Moira? I don't know.
1: I'm going to go with your latter statement. Like I think he really did love Moira and I think he thought he loved Marvel Girl as much as well, he loved Moira.
0: I hope he loved more, uh, given given the upcoming issues. But
1: yeah, right, uh, yes, I think the professor was just confused. He's old and senile and confused. So, anyways,
0: so do you really tell the woman that you uh, don't love anymore that you used to love that you were in love with a teenage like child that you were preparing to be an X man? I have no idea. Probably not. Do you think he was writing her letters while she was away? Dear Moira, I have fallen in love with my student, Jean Grey. She's half my age. <laughs> Do you think this is a
1: conflict of interest? <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't know. Also, my other student, Scott, also loves her.
1: Yeah, 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 I don't know. Maybe he says these weird things and then just mind wipes the rest of the X-Men. Because in the next panel, nobody's addressing it. They're all like, da, Moira, it'll be over as soon. I'm thinking, I can feel it. Referring, of course, to Marvel Girls being, you know, sick or bad or whatever.
0: Well, wait, does, okay, does Banshee think that Marvel Girls about to die? (laughs) Or does he think that Marvel Girls about to get better? Or the wait's going to end?
1: I I don't know. That's a good question. I think he thinks she's going to die.
0: Because normally when people think it will be over soon and they can feel it, it's because they feel like... The suffering is going to end.
1: I don't know. well, Scott's sitting in a separate room all by himself, uh mourning him his uh, uh the senseless waste of time that they didn't spend time with one another, referring to their early years. All those wasted years,
0: issue one through sixty six, when I loved Jean and she loved me, and neither of us had the sense to tell each other. And now, if she dies, it'll have all been for nothing. I mean, what do you do when the light goes out of your life? When Jean moved down to the city to build herself, blah, 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 blah. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, so he's... It's always
0: been Jean, only I never realized it till now, We're not about to lose her forever. Typical guy.
1: Mm-hmm. And then from the other room, we hear somebody saying, It's not like you to argue with reality, Corbo, or to deny the evidence of your own eyes. Oh, and that springs Scott to life. Well, apparently, we don't really know what that reality is or the evidence of his own eyes. But what we do find out is that Miss Gray will be just fine. Maybe they're referring to the fact that she should have been horribly burnt up by the radiation. So what what is Dr. Corbo arguing with? <laughs> it's not possible. She should be dead. In fact, I don't accept that she's right here alive. She's dead. And this other guy. I guess that kind of makes sense. This other guy, Dr. McKay, is like, no, she's she's right there breathing and living. And you can touch her. I've been touching her s- boobs all night.
0: And then Scott says, Dr. Corbo, Dr. McKay, how is she? And then Dr. McKay says, it's going to be touch and go for a while, Mr. Summers. That doesn't sound good at all.
1: (laughs) That sounds horrible. That means we're not really sure what. It's going to be quick, fast, and who knows what's going to happen. I think usually. Proper care,
0: friends to look after her friends to look after her. Yeah, that's that's a prescription right there. <laughs> Dr. Corbo and I think Miss Gray is going to be just fine.
1: Well, this is weird because okay, going back to the touch and go, I think you usually use that when you're like, okay, it's kind of precarious right now, but as long as we pay close attention to it, she's going to be just fine. Which, again, doesn't sound great, but uh, at least it means she's probably going to live. But the next part is but with rest, proper care, friends to look after her... It would sure be a shame if somebody sent all of her friends away. Yeah. Like, right? Isn't that the prescription here? Like, rest, care, and friends is what I'm hearing? Yeah,
0: but that's stupid
1: anyway. Your (laughs) friends aren't going to help her. All right. Well, anyways, the X-Men are all dancing and lifting each other, and and Wolverine's fist... Punching the air, <laughs> I guess. He's like, Yeah, guy. Well, he was going to fist punch Professor X, but Professor X turned away. And for some reason, uh, Nightcrawler, who is in his human guise, starts literally bouncing off the walls. Colossus picks up Storm. Mm-hmm. And they all realize that Scott isn't with them. Uh, Professor
0: Andrew... X puts his head in his hands and says,
1: No, I thought she wasn't going to make it. Now I have to tell her how much I love her i think i loved you as much as i thought i loved moira do you love me <laughs> no you're creepy <laughs> nightcrawler notices that cyclops is in the other room and apparently cyclops has slipped away and basically you know he, he's his emotions have gotten the best of him he's bent over crying and he's it's a tears of joy i guess
0: He's crying into a, a lonely bedsheet, and there's a patient in the
1: room saying, Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> could I? What, what's going on? Could I have my blanket back, sir? <laughs> sir, you're you're getting my blanket all wet with your tears.
0: You're going to be all right. Oh, Gene, thank God.
1: Thank God.
0: Well, that's okay. And the crawler busts in
1: and then sees him there and busts back out. And goes to report to the rest of the X-Men that Cyclops will be along in just a moment. Which is when the professor says, well, he snaps at the X-Men and says something like, um, what does he say? Uh, But I can only say what I need to say if the rest of you do me the courtesy of quieting down. No need to snap,
0: Charles. I'm sorry, Sean. The pressures of the last weeks are beginning to tell on me, too.
1: Now get out of here! This is where we just heard the friends need to stay around and and give some care, but the professor uh, says that basically Cyclops and the professor are the only friends she needs, and the rest of them are forced to go on vacation. None of us are going anywhere until Genie gets better, Bob. As Wolverine pops out his claws in a threatening motion towards the professor. Control yourself, Wolverine, and for once in your godforsaken life, listen and think. You heard the Doctor. Recovery depends on the care and attendance she receives. What? (laughs) Care that Scott and I are prepared to give her. Blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, we can't look after Jean and run the X-Men at the same time. Therefore, a brief and well-earned holiday is in order. I mean, why couldn't he say, like, okay... You guys are an X Men for like a couple of weeks, so whatever you want to do, and if that includes staying here, feel free. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's at this. Is st- this our first snacked though? I think it might be. The snacked being the reverse of a snicked. Yeah. Sean pulls out a piece of paper that he got from uh, his lawyer, Mr. Flaherty, uh, about the his Cassidy ancestral home. Apparently, it has been... Uh, in, he has inherited it.
0: Now, we saw Mr. Flaherty send this letter. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Mr. Flaherty feeling like he was kind of scared when he sent the letter? Like, wasn't he worried about something going on and then he got killed. He or am he, i just imagining that that he was worried.
1: Well, it was a rainy night and the postmaster was grumpy and then a, a man uh killed or punched or something him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this would p- presumably be that letter. And since the what? the events of just... like the last few days I mean the the last few issues have only been a few days, apparently they overnighted this letter from Ireland to New York.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> they do
1: that. Oh, okay.
0: It's a special delivery.
1: Yeah, so the professor looks over the uh the letter and says, This looks fantastic. You all must leave and go to this place together. You can't take separate vacations. You can't visit your separate families. You must all go together to Sean's creepy castle in Ireland.
0: Yay! (laughs) Moira stays behind.
1: Moira does. Uh, Scott and I need her. Yes, of course. They're going to double team her. (laughs) So it's a literal um, montage of planes, trains, and automobiles as they make their way to uh, Castle Cassidy. But in the dialogue, if you're not paying really close attention, you'll realize that two weeks have passed since they actually uh, get to the Cassidy Keep. So mm-hmm. they spend a couple of weeks in Dublin, some other places, sightseeing, and then they head, head down to County Mayo, which is where the castle is. And they've got the weirdest car I've ever seen. I'm, I'm sure it must be based on something, right?
0: No, it's probably a car that existed.
1: Like the front is like a convertible, which has Banshee and Storm. The back is like a pickup truck back, with a box around it and Wolverine Colossus and nightcrawler are sitting back there, but Colossus and nightcrawler, look like they're facing one another.
0: Yeah, it's odd. It's, it's not, yeah, it's It's just just odd. Hmm.
1: Well, they complain about the roads in Ireland and storm would like there to be springs and softer seats and she would have rather flown and, Banshee's like this is how we make roads in Ireland and blah 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 blah. There's the castle. <laughs> we get a
0: full page spread of the castle. We get an unglaublich.
1: Unglaublich. Yeah, it, which uh, we, as we recall, means incredible. It is. It is a quite incredible castle. It's a castle set up on a on a big hill. Which is surrounded by water. Apparently it's been torn or uh, it's been attacked multiple times over the last thousand years and rebuilt and and Sean comes from a lot of money, it looks like
0: We cut to inside the dungeon of the castle where a mysterious man is watching the X Men arrive on two cameras, two VISI screens, one which has a close up of uh, Sean Cassidy Banshee and the other one which has a wide shot of all of the X-Men together in their car.
1: Mm-hmm. And he orders um, Eamon O'Donnell who I guess is a loyal friend or servant of Sean Cassidy uh, to go get the X-Men and make them comfortable. But
0: don't tell them anything is wrong. And Eamon It says, no, I'm not going to do it. I will not be a party to the murder of innocent people.
1: And then uh, Mystery Man hits Eamon with his stick. Well, uh, Eamon actually does refer to him as Tom Cassidy. I'll not do that. Oh, yeah, you're
0: right. He does.
1: I'll not do (laughs) that. I've done evil things in your service, but I'll not be a party to murder uh, innocent people. And that's when... uh, Black, I'm sorry, Tom Cassidy strikes a disco pose with his little <laughs> stick and says, ah, oh, you dare defy me, and hits him over the head. And then says, uh, is my meaning clear, Iman O'Donnell? Go get them and don't tell him anything. And a, mis- so, a mystery voice from behind everybody says, you're a fool to trust him.
0: Hey, that's what you're wrong, my friend. As long as the families are
1: in my power, he'll do whatever I command. We don't actually see who this mystery voice is yet. We flash to inside of the castle where Eamon is uh, touring the X-Men through the castle. Sean asks how the family is,
0: and Eamon gets kind of mumbly. We'll talk about that later, dude. And then he starts leading them to their rooms. He leads Storm to his room which in the first panel has three very small men sitting up in the rafters.
1: Are these men or these statues?
0: Well, we don't know. <laughs> but We'll find out in a few issues. But uh, meanwhile, whether these are men or they are statues, no one notices them, and Storm, feeling uncomfortable, takes off all her clothes and showers herself
1: mm-hmm. for
0: no apparent reason.
1: Well, she's got bad vibes. She, she needs a, a reason, or she needs to relax, and she's feeling constrained by all the stone and these walls. And so uh, by her conjuring a storm and showering herself, she feels better. She can, this
0: is so cheesy.
1: <laughs> she can almost imagine herself back in Kenya. Well, it's just more Chris Claremont establishing that Storm likes to be naked. <sighs> <laughs> which I guess you don't care for.
0: No, I just feel like it's such fanboy servicing. It's really? just such an unnecessary... Ugh.
1: Do you think there's, Whatever. like, real big fanboy... Oh, really? Do you think this is the sex appeal portion of the comic? Yes.
0: You know, I never... I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not.
1: I mean, I've definitely seen some sexy stuff in comic books, but i got to be honest... I've never actually considered the naked storm scene sexy. I've always just, maybe I fell for it, but I'm like, oh, she's she's African. She likes to be naked. She don't care. Well,
0: right. Yeah, that's that's the, that's that's the what Chris Claremont is really trying to do. Oh, well, she's African. Therefore, she's uncultured. And right. I don't know. I find that offensive.
1: Oh. But whatever. <laughs> all right. I don't think, you think it's intentional? I mean, I think he's just trying to be like, show their, well, all right. I don't find it offensive. Maybe maybe well, a little stereotypical. Well, I just, it's, it's cliched. It's, maybe it's, cliched. Uh... I'll go with cliched. So anyways, after her cliched shower, she gets dressed in a interesting yellow dress thing.
0: It's like a Japanese kimono.
1: Kind of. And Nightcrawler, uh, I guess, was hoping to see the shower show, but he's a little late. He teleports in unannounced. And well,
0: so, whatever those tattoos in the rafters, they get the show.
1: <laughs> they all have pointy ears, the people in the rafters, so maybe it was three Nightcrawlers. Yeah,
0: Nightcrawler has learned to bamf smaller. <laughs> oh, he was bamfing all
1: right. <laughs> bamfing up a storm. Oh, that works on multiple levels. All right, oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> all right, so anyways, uh, Nightcrawler comes in to ask her for a date, and she's like, okay. After all, why should Colossus have all the fun? Mm -hmm. So again, uh, that came out of nowhere, so I guess we're really establishing that there's something between Storm and Colossus, maybe, perhaps, possibly.
0: Storm has put her hair up into a giant beehive. Mm -hmm.
1: She's got a lot of hair. She does. Nightcrawler turns into a, a number of 70s celebrities. I think it's Clark Gable is the first
0: one. Yep. Fred Astaire. Oh, could be. Or maybe Bing Crosby.
1: I'm not sure which. I got a uh,
0: Groucho Marks. Yes. And then his usual guy, which I can't even remember who that is.
1: That was yeah, we mentioned him a few issues ago. So whatever that was is who he is now.
0: <laughs>
1: and so they and I
0: like this Groucho Marks panel because Storm is kind of chuckling.
1: Yeah, yeah. She does find him charming and funny. Uh they go arm in arm and head towards the uh the dinner. The well, first Storm
0: whips off the kimono to reveal her sexy red dress. Tell me, Kurt, am I pretty?
1: Aurora, you are one of the most beautiful women it has ever been my privilege to know.
0: Um, if that's true, then thank you. I think. <laughs> All
1: right. Establishing
0: that Storm is not too bright. <laughs> she doesn't know these American
1: ways. It's... Well, ugh.
0: I, I do not like Storm's characterization in this in this in these early issues.
1: Yes. I think it definitely takes a long time to find Storm's true personality. Because she yeah. is so like meek and shy in these early issues. But uh we uh Sean Cassidy is in the kitchen, I guess, smoking a cigar and uh uh he puts on a hat and that's what he's going to wear to dinner.
0: He talks to himself about how he knows something's up with Eamon that there's something wrong and out of place and he'll he'll ask Eamon about it after dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Wolverine and Colossus show up in their best uh Wolverine likes to wear cowboy gear.
1: Look at look at Colossus's tie.
0: It's it's a very big tie.
1: No, the the bottom of the tie is like two inches above his belly button. I know. Like yeah. a, an appropriate tie should be right at the top of his belt buckle, and it's like four inches above there. Do you think they did that on purpose? Maybe it's like, oh, I'm I'm a fish out of water. I'm in a city I never made. In Russia, we have no tie. In Russia, <laughs> tie wear you. <laughs> 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 okay. Anyways, uh, they're all like. Uh, hey, Sean, you said this thing was going to be formal. What the heck? It's
0: like this short stuff. Watch the mouth, bub.
1: All right, and me name's Sean, not
0: Irish. So Wolverine and Banshee are getting into some scraps. Yeah. They got words. Anyways. Anyway, since I happen to be the lord of this manor, I get to come to dinner dressed however I please, so screw off.
1: Meanwhile, Nightcrawler's like, back off, Peter. Tonight, Aurora is my date. Storm's all like, I am no one's date, Kurt. I enjoy being with both of you. Which means the three of us all go to dinner together as equals. Agreed? And Colossus has got the biggest grin on his face because he knows what's going to happen after dinner.
0: Now that is sexy.
1: <laughs> In Russia, this stuff never happened. Colossus happy. Well... sadly they never make it to dinner or that after dinner dessert because the door opens and they all fall into that door sean shouts it's a trap door colossus shouts
0: we're being pulled down by gravity (laughs) curse you gravity (laughs)
1: Uh, into costumes all of yees and they are able to just magically get into their costumes
0: which makes sense for Storm, well, sort of. No, not really. And it makes sense for Nightcrawler. It it does, but it doesn't make any sense for Banshee. His his pants and shirt are now floating like two inches to the right of him, or something.
1: It's like he whipped him off, but he's got those wings on again.
0: Like yeah. how, how does and, he go around with those wings? Wolverine on? isn't wearing his costume underneath.
1: Yeah, but we'll see later on that he is definitely in his costume. Oh, he's
0: wearing his costume in the next page.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) The next page happens to be the last page, and that's where we get a half-page panel of Black Tom Cassidy and (gasps) the Juggernaut.
0: And I, students of Charles Xavier, my dearly hated stepbrother. Oh, yes, we know who you are, X-Men. I... And the Juggernaut says a very wordy Juggernaut.
1: Where did we last leave the Juggernaut? Was that that Hulk issue where he and Hulk fought and Marvel Girl, Cyclops, and the Professor were looking for Havok and Lorna and they basically just left the Juggernaut there? Well, they knocked him unconscious. Yeah. So
0: presumably, they did something with him, but okay. Maybe we'll
1: find out what happened to the Juggernaut next issue. I don't know. I don't maybe, think. I don't Maybe think, we won't. I don't think Chris Claremont likes to do those. After you saw me the last time, all this other stuff happened, and here we are now.
0: Well, I guess we'll find out.
1: Yeah. If if we get to the next
0: issue and it doesn't have a backstory, I'll I'll do some digging. But I I think. I think if it doesn't have a backstory, there probably wasn't a backstory.
1: It probably wasn't. I mean, I I, I think we're done with this whole, like, I was an old man, and then I died, but then I was given magic, and then S- S- Doctor Strange came. Like, I think all of that's over. Right. I, I think now he's back on Earth for a while anyways. Okay, well, anyways, uh, we, we know that Sean Cassidy and Tom Cassidy are related, and uh, Tom Cassidy actually says that, They're villains. Like, we're villains. Like, that's all we do. Like, our job? Villains. I have a business card. It says Tom Cassidy, villain.
0: (laughs) We are going to do what no other villains in the history of the world have been able to do. We're going to kill the X-Men.
1: Now, how did he know that all of the X-Men were coming? Well, not all of the X-Men. Most of the X-Men. I mean, the invitation... He
0: didn't know. He's just taking advantage of the fact that they're all there. Oh,
1: okay. Well, uh... Sean says, is that meant to scare us, Tom? Do you plan to talk us to death, then? And that's when Tom Cassidy says, you're in the dungeon now, deep inside Cassidy Crags, with countless tons of rock between you and freedom. You've no chance, Banshee. This place will become your tomb.
0: At which point Storm begins looking around and realizes he's right. They are in a tomb. And she freaks out. She starts screaming. My can't gut. breathe, can't think. Mother, help me.
1: Mother. No. Nightcrawler says, my gut. That scream. That means my god. We didn't do that one. That's oh, well. okay. <laughs> and uh, Wolverine says, it's Storm. She's flipped out. Next issue, who shall stop the juggernaut?
0: Oh, oh me, 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 me.
1: <laughs> no, I want to do it this time. All no. right. i wanted to draw your attention to a letter that i saw in the uh this particular issue is it the second one where they where the guy lays out his plan to save the x-men correct and i'm i won't read the whole thing i just want to read some of his ideas we should read all of his plans to save the x-men because they're funny Yes, his plan, uh, his first plan is have Colossus and Storm get married and leave the X Men and go back to Africa or some other place as long as it is far away.
0: Number two is kill off Nightcrawler by having him save the group at the cost of his own life. He was a poorly conceived character in the first place since he cannot have a real alter ego and a superhero can't become a real character without one. After all, what would Spider-Man be without Peter
1: Parker? Number three, have Banshee return to Ireland. Though he is a good character, he is not good with a team. Use him as a guest star on occasion, but not too often.
0: Number four, have the new new X-Men compose of Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Iceman, Angel, and the Wolverine. The Wolverine is really the only good new X-Men, and I see great potential for development of his personality. His evident hatred of his claws, I love the way they come out of his hands, his loneliness, etc. He is the perfect replacement for the beast in the new, new X-Men.
1: Number five, replace Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum with anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, those are the keys to success of saving the X-Men. Well, Sam Mendel... I don't think you uh were I, I guess you might have had some points about the Wolverine, but I think pretty much everything else was way off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Next issue. Everyone moved back to Africa and the X-Men to become the old X-Men plus Wolverine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Anyhow, so there you go. That's X-Men number one oh one. Kind of a I guess kind of a it 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 uh it's a bridge issue, right? It it closes off the last few issues that we were uh reading and it starts off basically another set of stories, I guess. Yes. Felt like there was and a lot it, of filler in the middle, though.
0: It continues some of the stories that we've kind of uh, alluded to as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We get a response on the Deja Room website. We did? By Itamar. Itamar responded to episode 80, Merry Christmas X-Men, and says, just stumbled onto your blog and as a lifelong X-Men fan I have been really enjoying it. Thank you, Itamar. Wow. One suggestion. I've been trying to listen to them in order, and navigating between newer and older posts leaves a lot to be desired. As a way to navigate back and forth, an easier way to navigate back and forth would be greatly appreciated. Otherwise, keep up with the great work. All right. So, uh, we're, we're working on it.
1: Yep, that's on me, Edamar. Well, I'm glad somebody's using the web page to to post comments and to to get the episodes. It's fantastic. Uh, other ways that you can get the uh, issues or the episodes, you can go to iTunes, of course, and search for us. We 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 come up if you just search for Danger Room or X Men uh, under the podcasts, and you can subscribe there. And of course, uh, you know, if you're not an iPhone user, then you probably don't want to do that.
0: I'm putting out the call. We haven't gotten any in quite a while. So somebody answer the call. We we need to reach 35. That's all I want. 30. We're at 34 right now. I oh. want to see 35 by the time we record next week.
1: Or else we're not recording. <laughs> yeah, or we're done. <laughs> Sorry. Series over. We didn't get that 35th comment. Uh, and then at Facebook, you can go to facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, or you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go.
0: And uh Edward Gibson the third has been running our Twitter feed and he's been running it like a madman today with our with our with the hundredth issue, our eighty-second episode. He has been publishing several images from the that very issue that we we commented on. So thank you for that, Edward.
1: hmm You can also email us at Danger Room at RedCatProductions dot com or you can leave us a voicemail at five oh one get X Men. There you go. That's all the ways to get a hold of us, uh, and and we appreciate and love to hear from you, the listener. And on that note, I guess we'll have to move on to the classic portion of the show.
0: Still nobody's voted about what the title of this should be, so we're just going to end up calling it Spoilers!
1: Spoilers! Uh, sure. Or craptastic would, would be good. Craptastic spoilers! <laughs> there you go. Maybe we'll just go with that. Welcome to the craptastic spoilers portion of the show. This one is no different from uh, any of the other ones in its craptasticness. It is Classic X-Men number 9 from May 1987. On the cover is an Art Adams, uh Phoenix. Kind of a different angle of what we saw on uh, the original X Men One Hundred and One. I guess I, I have the same comment about this cover as I do the uh, last issue. Like this pales into comparison from the original issue, I think.
0: Of the cover or the splash page? Uh the cover. the this cover pales in comparison to the cover of the previous of the of of X Men One Hundred and One.
1: Correct. Oh, okay.
0: Well, I, I I don't I don't know about that. I mean, the the cover of the F one hundred and one is iconic, so it's hard to it's hard to compare anything to it.
1: Yeah, but I think even when uh, this issue of Classic X Men came out, that cover would have already been considered iconic. Yeah. So, again, like you know, uh, why don't I just draw the same thing? Just Art Adamsy. Oh come
0: on, that's <laughs> that's give the guy a break. I know. The only thing I don't like about this cover is Cyclops' hand is all stretchy.
1: He's got crazy looking fingers. Yeah, on both hands actually. Yeah, he's got like frog fingers.
0: But otherwise, I like I like the angle. I like the perspective. I like the shot. And, if, and I I especially like the inside front cover.
1: Actually, this should have been the cover of the comic book. It's kind of cool. It's uh, it's it's Marvel. It's Phoenix with the phoenix surrounding her. Now, I guess they couldn't have done that because they haven't really established the whole phoenix force effect yet, so you, you couldn't have used this exactly. Well, they inch. could
0: do whatever they wanted, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, this is definitely better than the cover.
1: Yeah. She got her legs out in like a karate pose, like she's ready to fly and just kick some ass. That's what she's ready to do. Some phoenix ass. It should be noted that this picture was drawn on 12-7-86, even though uh, it... It was released in May 1987. So Art Adams was just stockpiling these.
0: Yeah, they probably had him draw the whole series before they were even prepared.
1: Probably. So for this one, we're going to jump right to page six. Uh, Page six is basically what happens right after somebody says uh, we need to escape from here. Um, And... The little dialogue box that I had you guys remember about Nightcrawler where he says, uh, he he asks the unanswered question. I don't even remember what the question is now. Uh, but now this time, uh, Peter Corbo says, better leave me out, better leave me out, better leave me out it, Nightcrawler. <laughs> I think they changed that too. Someone's yeah, going to have...
0: It. Peter Corbo's dialogue is different too, and it's grammatically incorrect.
1: Yeah, it, there's a lot of problems with this retcon. So first, of I all, almost said
0: grammatically.
1: <laughs> that would have been uh, ironic. <laughs> he says, "Better leave me out, it Nightcrawler. Someone's going to have to explain this mess." Nightcrawler says, "And perhaps take the rap for it, as you wish, Doctor Corbo." Like
0: uh, the whole thing is different because Nightcrawler also says that he will. Courtesy, he changes. Professor tells them to change out of their outfits, and. Nightcrawler says, as good as done, Hair Professor, courtesy of my image inducer, which is from the the comic. And then he says, I'll expand its range to the maximum extent to cover us all and cloak us completely from view. In effect, we'll become invisible. That's totally different dialogue.
1: All that dialogue is different. And then we go to the next page. And uh we see the firefighters come and they see Dr. Corbo and they pull him aside and they're like, We got a survivor. Dr. Corbo says, I'm the only one. Dr. Corbo, director, Project Star Corps, terrorists hijacked the space station. Now who on earth is going to believe that space terrorists <laughs> took over the space station? Like, isn't somebody in the control tower of, uh, of, uh, 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 wh- where, where the, oh, man, Orlando, NASA, NASA. Starcore Star <laughs> somebody going to be like, uh, right after that Star Corps ship took over, there was a pirate ship that took over right behind it. <laughs> like <laughs> the terrorists.
0: Yeah, it was not a very, not very. He's not very fast on his toes.
1: No, like the FBI now has him in a chair and they're uh torturing him to find out what these terrorists are all about. Because they're like, there are no terrorists in space. You understand that, right, dr Corbo? <laughs> no, no, no. You don't understand. There were terrorists. Well, anyway, I want to change my story. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just I drank too much on the way back. Well, so the X-Men, as they had extended their image inducer to change their clothes, are all, all of them, now back into their X-Men costumes, like, just kind of like behind a building a little bit, watching the firefighters put the fire out. So Storm
0: went through all the effort to change, only just to change back.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and same with Nightcrawler, and then, of course, extending the ray. Well, Nightcrawler,
0: that's easy, because he just pushes the button.
1: It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Marvel Girl, or I mean Phoenix, I guess I got to start calling her. She's laying in Cyclops' arms. The light, the glory, stars, worlds, all created a part of me.
0: So much, too much reality, already slipping away.
1: And that's when they decide to hightail it uh, out of there. Um, they've, they've, uh, Storm has redirected the wind to blow the smoke towards the X Men to cover their escape. And Wolverine wonders what they're going to do next.
0: Then the Storm flies all the way back to Westchester County to get to go into the, uh, the house
1: and then multiplies into four storms. <laughs> it's like a montage. But what she's doing yeah. is she's getting everybody's street clothes. When we've already rewrote the dialogue of the original comic book to say that we can just extend the image inducer. And not only that, there's not even like a narration box that says, to answer your question, Wolverine, storm flies. I mean, it's just like all of a sudden you go from Wolverine saying, how are we going to get out of here to storm flying over the mansion? And you're kind of like, oh, they must have escaped without us seeing it.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, this confused me.
1: It did. I had like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to comment on this. But then you read the whole page and you realize that she flew to the Westchester mansion, grabbed everybody's clothes, flew back And then she says, My own mutant powers give me special awareness of life and empathy with its strength and its quality within a person. Gene is like nothing I've ever sensed before. So now we're giving her a new mutant power, too. (laughs) Like all this (laughs) needs to happen? Why? And then apparently she flew 80 miles. Yes.
0: Not bad. Made an 80-mile round trip to our place in
1: the same time it took us to reach Manhattan. Which, what does that mean? 20 minutes, an hour? Like, how long is that? (laughs) It would have been much better. Like, first of all, that shouldn't have happened because they have the image inducer. But second, what could have happened is they could have been like, nice job, Frail. You made an 80-mile flight in 30 minutes. You're really fast. But we get no frame of reference for how long it took for them to get from Jamaica Bay to Manhattan.
0: Or they could have just stuck with what the professor said happened, which was that he mind-wiped everybody.
1: Well, they don't change that dialogue, but they never actually show him mind-wiping anybody. Instead, what they do is they all get into a cab, they're talking about what they're going to do, and then the professor decides to mind-wipe the cab driver.
0: (laughs) We shall proceed. This shall cover the cost of the limousine driver's service. My mental powers will ensure that he remembers this as no more than a normal, everyday fare. He slips him a
1: dollar. (laughs) <laughs> Here's a dollar for your troubles, everybody. You will think this is a a fifty dollar bill. Uh, yes, and you will. And
0: then we get the stupidest scene ever, where Cyclops says, "Professor, we can't show Jean like this. Her costume's bound to stir up talk. It's weird. Not like normal cloth. There doesn't seem to be any way to remove it." At which Wolverine pops a claw, snick it. That bub will be my pleasure. <laughs> That's horrible. She. That's not
1: Wolverine. That's like. Cliff Claremont should know better. Sheath the claw, mister, before I ram it. Ram it where? Oh, you don't want to know. (laughs) Where the sun don't shine. Two pages
0: later, Wolverine's all like, oh, Jean Grey, she's awesome. I really like her. But 15 minutes ago, I was going to strip her bare. Yeah, (laughs) because I'm I'm Wolverine.
1: (laughs) Yes, I completely agree. This is out of character for him.
0: And then her clothes change. But
1: here's something I want to point out. Uh, and I don't know if Chris Claremont's trying to put something to... Oh, wait. I think she is trying to put something... No, I don't know what she's trying to do, but she looks uh, exactly like Madeline Pryor here. A- and I think oh. it's it's the clothes and the way the hair is drawn. And I don't know if that's intentional or not. Aren't, aren't they... Isn't aren't, Don't they look the same? If you look through the books, no, there's, I mean, yeah, they do because it's a comic book and they're supposed to be clones of one another, which is done much later after the introduction of Madeline Pryor. But like Marvel Girl's got like the curly wispy hair and Madeline Pryor's got straight hair and bangs like she has in this issue. And I swear she's worn this green sweater, white shirt combo in the past. Huh, like weird. this is like a trademark, it seems like to me it's like a trademark plain clothes of Madeline Pryor. And I'm wondering because what happens is she changes her costume like by herself subconsciously. The professor says, fascinating, fundamental reorganization of molecular structures, telekinesis of the highest order, and until now beyond even genes potential, let alone her uh, capability. So apparently while she's unconscious, she was able to make this change. So I'm just wondering if he was trying to make this connection uh, this early or if I'm reading way too much into it. I think you're probably reading way too much into it, but I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, anyways, yeah. Uh, Cyclops goes on to say she's unconscious. How did she know what she, what what we needed doing? And that's when we flip over to Wolverine, who just recently wanted to strip her naked with his claws, going to buy her flowers. <laughs> and I think. Uh, we don't get the dialogue anymore about a question that goes unanswered. Instead, it says Xavier proves true to his word, and within an hour, Jean Grey is admitted to a special research wing. I guess we should notice or note that the professor said earlier that he knows some people at the hospital that'll help him out, no questions asked.
0: Yeah, and then on page eleven, the professor's dialogue changed. Oh yeah, uh, when she when Moira asks him if he used her his telepathic powers. He said he can't. Every time I try to use them, the dream happens. Lately, anything beyond absolutely minimal power brings on a seizure. Nothing about having
1: oh, disguised you're right. them at the airport. Okay. Well, I guess at least so they it. So a big
0: retcon.
1: It's like almost like you have to read the whole issue to catch all these things. It's like Chris
0: Claremont was like, I really hated the way that I handled that. I'm going to rewrite the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and make it worse.
1: Yeah, essentially that's all that happens is he just makes it worse. Um, I guess I didn't like read this whole thing word for word, but I think those were the only changes.
0: Yeah, I didn't read it word for word either. I just wanted to see if that was
1: different, and lo and behold, it was. So now we get the backup story by um, John Bolton and uh, Chris Claremont. It is called The Gift. I don't know how in-depth you want to do this story, because this one's a letdown. I didn't think it
0: was that bad. Really? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's probably ripped off from somewhere else. But uh, the idea of this story is that this is when the X-Men are waiting in the waiting room. Or the lounge or the lobby of the hospital for Jean to get better. It's been it's been days, which I don't think we mentioned before that she was unconscious for days.
1: I don't, did it say elsewhere that she had been unconscious for days? Yeah, it, it okay. did.
0: I actually noted that earlier, but we didn't we didn't comment on it. Oh well. But um, Nightcrawler is very sad, and he meets up with this little kid who's sitting by himself outside, and the kid's very mysterious. Won't explain. Why he's waiting outside by himself? He gets attacked by a bird. Yeah, which is strange, knowing how the story ends. And then Nightcrawler starts laughing at him. Is it? Ha, 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 ha. Well, I don't. I don't know. I would think that that would be like foreshadowing or something. But
1: stupid bird! Ha 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 ha! Stupid me for letting it spook me. Glad no one's around to see. Who's laughing? Who's there? Oh, okay. Why? Why is this kid getting attacked by a bird? I think it's... I don't know. It's not very
0: well conceived. That's all. Um, Nightcrawler starts hanging out with the kid. The kid doesn't want to tell him anything. They get kicked out of the hospital grounds because they're outside of the hospital by a cop who refuses to listen to him. So Nightcrawler takes the kid to dinner. Mm -hmm. Kid's name is Daniel Cameron. Nightcrawler tries to get to know the kid, but the kid doesn't want to tell him a lot. He says... Family doesn't really care about him. Nightcrawler feels bad. Nightcrawler but... says the kid is not being very safe because Nightcrawler could be anybody. He could be a total stranger. He could do bad things.
1: Mhm. And it goes and so... on. They get done eating. They head back out to the park, I guess. And uh, Nightcrawler's really not getting anywhere with this boy. I guess he's just trying to crack through his exterior and get a dialogue going, uh, but he's not able to do it. But he decides he'll he'll try to use something he learned in Der Jarmarkt. and he does a handstand. And the boy thinks that that's pretty cool.
0: We get a uh, we get a little German lesson here, kind of fun. Nickvar, having the city to ourselves. Oops.
1: Hang on. Uh, nicht wahr? Nicht wahr, which says it means not true. Like you know, kind of fun, is it not? Oh, Something like that? Not true. So it's more of a question. Yeah, and, and it's having not having the city to ourselves. It it is a question. It's got a question mark. Oh, okay, there, so. so it's not like having the cities is fun. Not. <laughs> so it's it's not that right. No. Okay. <laughs> All right anyways uh they they played like a racing game, and Nightcrawler continually teleports uh in front of the boy who yeah, the kid
0: decides to run through Central Park, which Nightcrawler feels is dangerous, so he just keeps teleporting in front of him, like you said
1: and he teaches him to juggle not is that like ten balls he's juggling? I think so, but um, it could just also be,
0: like, three balls or something, and,
1: and it's just... In this panel where he's juggling, his middle two fingers look like they're attached. But mm-hmm. he, still, he still only has three fingers, right? Oh, well, yeah. So his image inducer is creating all those extra fingers. Okay. Well, he says, uh, the boy's like, I could never juggle. I'm just a klutz. I don't know how, and... Nightcrawler's like, just try. The boy's like, I can't. Nightcrawler's like, just try. And then it gets light out. So apparently they've been out in the park all night long trying to juggle. And finally the boy is able to, like Nightcrawler says, just try one more time before we leave. You might just surprise yourself. And lo and behold, the boy can juggle. Whoa, man.
0: Yes. So they, Nightcrawler takes the boy home. The boy's got a big grin on his face. Nightcrawler's happy. Nightcrawler decides at the last second, you know what? You're cool, kid. I'm going to turn off my image inducer. The boy freaks out, and my color never sees him again. (laughs) He jumps
1: out a window. Oh, my God, I've seen the devil. (laughs) I juggled with him. No, the boy's like, wow, I thought there was something different about you, but I never imagined. I never dreamed. And they hug. Fantastic. Not afraid of my pal? No way. And hey, Kurt, don't worry about your sick lady friend. She'll be fine. Trust me.
0: Well, later still, Nightcrawler goes back to the hospital. And this makes no sense. If it's later still, why would he be looking for the boy at the hospital? Unless they said maybe it was the next day? No, but, because
1: the boy, it's its its the morning when he drops him off. And uh, he says, you going back to the hospital. And the boy's like, yeah, I'll probably go back later today. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah.
0: He asked the nurse for if if Daniel, if she she's seen Daniel Cameron. And the nurse says, I'm afraid you're too late. This is Daniel. She says, pointing to a body that she is carting off. It's under a sheet. He died last night. Poor thing. Cancer. That must be some mistake. <laughs>
1: that was like a checkoff impression. Captain. <laughs> <Kept> <laughs> Uh last night I saw I spoke I touched vessels <laughs> where are your nuclear vessels Well he goes back outside near the the thing that they were sitting next to which we never really talked about but it's this ugly yellow and black thing that just looks like death <laughs> I don't know it's what it is a tree and that's what the bird flew out of It's a horribly constructed tree and it was very present in the first few pages but he decides that Apparently, Daniel was a ghost who wasn't ready to leave. And who was trying
0: to comfort whom, he says, whichever it worked. Perhaps, my friend, the the truly, this truly is the great secret. The world like a juggler's balls (laughs) (laughs) goes round and round. And the trick is to live the best you can. Well, you can. For that, we'll all, that that way, there will always be lights shining bravely, joyously, on every juggler, juggler's balls.
1: Next issue is called Tag, Sucker. Now, I, I, so it was a ghost story? Like, Daniel Cameron was a ghost, and Nightcrawler was broken up so much about Marvel Girl that he needed to be visited by a, bo- a ghost to feel that it was all right? Yeah, man. I don't know. Juggler's balls, man. (laughs) You want Juggler's balls on your face? Well, then come (laughs) visit Nightcrawler. He'll put them on your face. I I don't know. I don't don't get it. Like, it it doesn't seem to make any sense. Are we really saying that there's ghosts in the Marvel Universe? Oh, man, this is totally a retcon. This kid is going to come back. And
0: uh, like this, this turns out to be Cameron Hodge. This is Daniel Cameron Hodge. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm like, why is this story even here? I mean, it was really seemed to me like Chris Claremont was like, I don't know what else needs to be said. Let's write this. (laughs) And the next story will be the same, but uh, we'll get to that next week.
0: Uh, Last but not least, some some Beast Avengers updates. Beast is still not a member of the Avengers. He's like a trial member.
1: Oh, okay. Uh,
0: The next three issues, I believe 141, 142, and 143 are where I I left off. And Captain America has rejoined the Avengers, and the team splits up, and half the team, including Beast, and now uh, Patty uh, Walker, who... Was formerly Patty Baxter, married to Buzz Baxter, oh. the the security guy from the yeah, yeah yeah, who has turned evil. He is now they've gotten divorced, and he is now evil. Buzz Baxter, evil
1: Buzz they, Baxter. Uh,
0: yeah, they, uh they the the Avengers invade. Uh, there's some sort of secret army at the Brand Corporation. So the Avengers invade the Brand Corporation and get captured by the sinister. Or no, actually, the the Squadron Supreme. It's it's not the the Squadron Sinister who are usually the Avengers' foes. Wow, and uh, yeah, and, and and we leave off with with uh, the the Avengers, including Beast, having been trapped in a cage in the Brand Corporation, and they manage to escape using Vision's ability to get through
1: stuff. Wow, they just can't yeah. let that Brand Corporation story go, can they?
0: No and yet uh, uh, Beast is, is Patsy Walker is hanging out with them because Beast owes her a favor or something. Mm. We don't really know why yet, and and Beast is still not a member of the Avengers.
1: Well, she's single now. That's true. And I've heard once you go blue, (laughs) I don't know what rhymes with blue, that could work in this (laughs) sentence, but whatever it is, you don't do it. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> all right uh anything else before we turn this thing down and the rest
0: of the avengers are in the old west fighting with like all the kids from the rawhide kid
1: kid cult all oh that so crap. like it's so like the classic uh pre-marvel cowboy people yeah wow that would I would actually... really
0: want to talk the beast isn't a part of that so it it's kind of
1: i'd kind of want to exciting. read that it's kind of cool oh.
0: We'll do it. They're they're in there.
1: So that really ties the, that series of comic books into the Marvel universe. Yeah, it so, does. Sort of. Huh, interesting.
0: They're all fighting Kang, the Conqueror.
1: Oh, of course they are. That seems like a cool storyline. It's it's it's
0: it's got its good points and its bad points. It's one of its bad points being that the citizens of the past think that Hawkeye and his uh, new his his Avengers uniform looks like a freak, so he takes off his shirt, and now he looks normal.
1: <laughs>
0: Dude walking around without a shirt.
1: <laughs> yeah, well,
0: sure. That's no, perfectly
1: normal. He's Hawkeye after all. Got some nice abs. Yeah, yeah. He works out. All right. Well, then. On that note, until next time, the Danger Room is closed. <laughs>